Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode, though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as on SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Please also reach out to us on Facebook, where we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Amayo, and I'm going to let everybody else introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. This is Ife. Hi, everyone. This is Ife Yuma. Hey, everyone. This is Onyeka, aka Yeka. Hey, guys. And today on our episode, we have two special, special guests. Thank you guys for coming on. We really appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for your sacrifice. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, just, we'll let you guys introduce yourselves. My name is Fanaya, and I am really excited to be here. I like listen to you guys all the time, and I love the show, so I'm very excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, what's up? I'm Brian. Uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I listened to some episodes, and I thoroughly enjoy the show. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Um, so yeah, I'm, it's a pleasure to be on today. So thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. On. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so today's episode, uh, our topic is, hopefully it should be an interesting one. We're talking about the relationship between Africans and African-Americans in the U.S. I think it's location-specific, yep. right? It is. African-Americans okay. are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The interactions outside America now. Chill. Chill. Okay, just like <laughs> throwing all the kinds of shades possible today. <laughs> So good, so good. So we're just going to start. We're going to jump into the questions that we sent out, and our very first question is: What was your first real interaction with the African American or African community, either on campus, in uni, or like in high school or wherever? Your first, the one that you remember, and I guess the most interesting. Who wants to go first? All right. Well, I'm the guy of the show, uh, Brian. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking back and I think the first my first experience or interaction uh, with someone from the continent of Africa was actually a family friend of ours when I was a kid uh, her name was Melody and you know there was no stereotypes I had associated with Melody or you know anyone from I think I want to say she was from Zimbabwe if I remember correctly she's from Zimbabwe um, and there, there was nothing really different except a cultural difference and I connected Melody with food. Uh, I think that was just such a, <laughs> the perfect first introduction to someone from another culture is to be introduced through food. Uh, but I can't remember any negative uh, stereotypes or connotations I had associated with anyone from Zimbabwe. Were you able to learn anything about her, like other than food? Was there anything else about her culture that you remember? I don't. And I was a kid, so uh, mm. food yeah, was all I needed to know fair. about you at the time. <laughs> right, <That's> right. <laughs> essential, essential. 
Um, I think for me, it was more so like I understood that I was Nigerian or that I was African. So it was more so a realization that that's a, a distinction from other like black and brown people who look like me. Like I remember in elementary school, I, okay, this is kind of silly. <laughs> I had my book like backwards or something like that. And my um, teacher had said to me like, what country are you from? And I was just like, I'm Nigerian. <laughs> but she more so was like trying to be a little snippy because I was holding the book backwards. But it was like kind of a moment she didn't really <laughs> know how to respond to that. And me just being a child, I was just like answering the question. Yeah. So I felt like it was more so um, realizations throughout my life that like there is a distinction. So what what made her? I mean, you were a student. So what I mean what at that moment made her ask you what country you're from just from a book? Like that seems ignorant on its face, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I think she was just really trying to be snippy, like and, you know, like, America why are you holding your book in that way not even in some like you're not American uh, but just trying to uh, be I mean now that I think about it it was like first grade right. so <laughs> I wow. really don't know why she was That's so bold. Free, but over here and I'm trying to think so I guess for me my first real interaction with African Americans I mean has to be college because um, I came here um, for college. And so as far as stereotypes go, I think <clears throat> going in, like I was very hyper aware um, of racism only because like we had traveled somewhere and where we were staying was in this apartment complex where you needed an ID to get into. And um, so everybody else was trailing behind and the younger kids were like walking ahead. And so we got to the building and this one lady like opened the door and we walked in behind her <clears throat> and the look on her face was like, I mean, cause we're like the only one of maybe three black people who lived in the building and her face was just like, who are these people and why are they like following me? And so it was like, okay, this is crazy. So coming here, like I was hyper aware I think of, you know, racism. So I don't necessarily think I came or interacted with African-Americans. Um, let's see, how do I explain this? With like stereotypes because I was stereotyped. Right. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. So yeah, it was just more of like, oh, these are people You're I've been black. seeing on MTV and BET. What's up, <laughs> Maria? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's my interaction. Yeah. This is Ifeyua, and I want to say my first direct interaction with um, the African-American community um, happened when, during my GS3 holiday, which I guess translates to seven, eight, nine, I think ninth grade, um, a family friend of mine, her, her family's Nigerian, but she was born in the States, and I remember coming, to, so they actually live in New Jersey, so going back to our conversation about New, New Jersey earlier, but I was visiting, visiting them in New Jersey, and I just, the daughter, um, she was, she's also, she's my age, but, and I knew, like, her family is Nigerian, and I was expecting us to be on the same, I don't know, same level socially and just culturally, but we, when I met her, I just knew immediately that we weren't, and I think some oh. of the there are just some differences, like things 
slangs she used, the way she talked. It was just very different for me. So even though I came with this expectation that I knew her parents, I knew her family, I knew them back in Nigeria, and I knew that her background was um, their Igbos, I, I assumed that because of that, we would, our culture, the way we talked would be similar, but she had an accent that I couldn't fully understand at the time, and then she was reading, <laughs> she, I remember her, she, I actually learned about Maya Angelou because of her, um, because she had <laughs> some books to read for the summer, and she was reading, you know, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and she was like, oh, have you heard of Maya? And I was like, <laughs> I... I was like, no. And she's like, really? And she just seemed very confused. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so just little things like that, that were different. Um, and then after that, when I came to college, interacted with more African-Americans in college and they had the African, um, what's it called again? I want to call it, it's not APAU. my class. APAU. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, those are some of my early interactions. So, Ifeniwa, do you feel like you consider the girl you're referring to as African-American because of that disconnect? No, I think I refer to as African-American because that's how she identifies. She... Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she does... She boldly and proudly claims to be Nigerian, but at the same time, she does identify as African-American. This is Ife here. So, my first... Okay. So, before my actual physical interaction with an African-American. I grew up in Nigeria and you know how, like, there are stereotypes of people everywhere. So mm-hmm. you hear stories of, oh, Akata, like, black, mm. Akata, like, there's a, Akata is not a good word. Like, mm-hmm. there is... I think we have people to talk need about to that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that. Akata is not a good word. <laughs> it is derogatory and it is... So it's like one of these words that's used so casually back mm-hmm. home in Nigeria that like it loses its derogatory sense. Like it's like it's no longer derogatory how frequently it's used. But when you really dig down and really understand its meaning and its roots, you would understand that it's derogatory. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Wait, can you explain what it is? Ifer? So Akata is like, do you know, I honestly like don't know the actual definition. So it's a Yoruba word. Mm-hmm. And I think it means... So how I grew up understanding it is mm. that it means uh, somebody who's disconnected from their roots. Mm. So, yeah. but I don't know exactly like what it means. Some people are saying it means wild animal. I don't. Yeah, know, like, something I've seen I here says wild non-domesticated cat. I don't know what that. I don't know like what? how true but, that but, is. Uh, yeah, I don't that's know. Just but that's just a cat. I don't. I don't know. Random. I don't know how true that is, but like from growing mm-hmm. up with like hearing people say the word. The association I know is like people disconnected from their roots, and it's like used as a oh, as if it's their fault that they're yeah. disconnected from their roots, which is so mm-hmm. fucking bizarre. Anyway, so like that's my that's my interaction. Oh, like you know, um, like Black Americans are not connected with their roots. Oh, um, when you go there, make sure you don't be like them. Like just like really prejudiced things that you hear when mm-hmm. you're growing up. Mm-hmm. Then coming to the States, my interaction with Black Americans, I think, similar to if it, well, we went to the same uni, so our interactions are probably similar. But yeah, there was a, there was our equivalent of the BSA, so the Black Students Association or BSU, Black mm-hmm. Students Union, but ours was called APAU, which is Association of Pan-African 
union or unity. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> and there was the there was Makasa. So Makasa was uh, Maholyoke's African and Caribbean Students Association. So it used to be like one umbrella group for black students in the school. But Makasa broke out of APAU because like <laughs> they had some I think there was a I think there was an earthquake or something. There was some thing that went on in an African country and the African and Caribbean students wanted to like send money or like dedicate some resources to to that African country. Anyway, that's history that you probably didn't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got to Mount Holyoke, there was some like tension between APO, APAU and the African and Caribbean Students Association. And like nobody really, it wasn't something that we really like dissected. So like on the surface, we were sisters and we were connected, but there was some like weirdness underneath it that like we didn't, we A, either weren't willing to really dissect, B, we didn't believe that there was anything wrong because mm-hmm. like I you know I would say like a lot of us Africans and Caribbean people were like there's nothing you know like we're not very rich we didn't have enough racial intelligence so you know we hadn't lived in the states long enough to be like consciously aware of our biases and know that there was the some of the tensions were because of that we're just like ignorant mm-hmm. honestly so it was one of those two things and um three like we're busy like there's school work there's all of this stuff you have to get done and you're like ah, this doesn't you know like <laughs> this is not particularly my priority at this time so was there an obvious divide on campus between like the african-americans and then the african community so i know for example at villanova we had like <laughs> The Black Students Association of BS. I don't even know what it was called. BSU, BSA. Um, okay, so there was BCS, and then there was um African and Caribbean Villanovans, which started in our freshman year. Which well, there was the African and there was the Caribbean, and we merged in my freshman year. So there was, the, and there was always some weird tension, like with events and then attendance. It was just always. I don't know if now I can talk more about this because you're a member of both, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like the tension was more so from faculty just kind of like why what's the need to distinguish between the Mm -hmm. two and why can't it all be under one Mm -hmm. umbrella and then I feel like um like in terms of students it was more so like like black students would be like oh well this is an African and Caribbean event can I still come and then I don't really think the Africans were that like I just think I don't know it's interesting um yeah i don't think like individually we were i don't i really don't know but yeah i i you you brought up a good point about faculty because that's a big deal (laughs) yeah because like we're just here trying to celebrate our individual cultures or different cultures and then faculty is like you're all black you should be one society (laughs) right that's i feel like that was the biggest thing and then in terms of like like the international students of the like the African mm-hmm. or Caribbean students, I feel like they kind of gravitated towards each other, but it was all kind of just like one love. So I don't mm-hmm. feel like it was that much friction between um, students per se, just more so okay. um, Blacks feeling like, oh, well, if it's African and Caribbean, can I still go? And then I just felt like African and Caribbean students were kind of like not phased by it as much, like just minding their own business, doing what they would already normally do. Well, yeah, Anyeka, I don't remember any tension. <laughs> like what 
whatsoever. <laughs> no, I'm, I don't want any attention. And I Lovey talked about it in the article. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now. But you know, why would there be tension, though? I mean, we are really culturally different, obviously, but we're still skin folk. In America, there can't be a distinction between what type of black mm-hmm. you are. You are either black or you're not. And I feel like you have we have to limit that kind of self prejudice that goes on. And I don't think that went on in Maribel. Well, okay. So <laughs> if you haven't figured, Brian and I went to the same uh, undergrad. We went to Maribel College, and it was a predominantly white institution, right? And so there weren't in well, it was in Tennessee. I just need to say that. So there weren't enough Very Africans true. to have an African student association. Mm-hmm. I mean, throughout my entire undergrad, mm. I was the only Nigerian. So if that says anything, mm. you know, yeah. the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. Um, so there weren't that many um, Africans anyway. And so I think it, at that point, at the point where Maryville was, and I think it, it's going to be different for different institutions, right? So you could have um, a black student association, an African student association, because what it is is celebrating those different cultures, and it isn't necessarily a divide. It's just that hey, these cultures exist. Whereas in Maryville, I think it was more of a situation of hey, there is a culture other than white culture, right? So ultimately, everyone just like rallied like with each other, and then there was just the black student alliance association. I don't know what it what it is alliance. I think, um, yeah. So. Um, so it was just more of like, this is where the campus is at and this is what needed to happen. Now, were there avenues to do both black culture things and African culture things? Yes. And that's where like the international student organization GCO was, you know, so it was just a matter of, I think for me, it's all a matter of analyzing your environment and where you're at and seeing, okay, so what does my campus need right now? Like, does it need just the awareness that there are other people and there are other cultures and then if it's at that point, then okay, then hey, there are tons of cultures want to eat, like want to dance, want to learn. Um, <laughs> that's how I view. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing of like self-prejudice. I think it's, it, it's more celebration. Like, why not? If you can afford it, do it. I think kind of to speak towards what Brian said as well, I feel like sometimes people um, get distinction as something negative. Hmm. And I think, oh. well, mm-hmm. I feel like where um, it can kind of, uh, kind of go on a tangent to become negative some type of distinction is actually not like by definition a negative thing like uh-huh. there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting to say that like yeah I'm, I'm black like my skin is black but like I am actually from this specific specific country from this specific culture um, and I feel like one of the problems between like Africans and African Americans is not having like a a pro-blackness that appreciates difference. Um, Ooh, so I really girl. think that's <laughs> one of the yes. really big issues that we um, face because um, like you were saying, like it depends on the campus that you are on like how it's going to manifest itself because if there's not mm-hmm. even that many Africans, you won't see that. If there's not even that many Caribbeans, you won't see like certain needs for um, certain mm-hmm. distinctions. But like in real life, um, there's definitely like there's no way you could tell my my dad just because you see him that he's a like he's African American. Like, yeah. Like we're just you're black. There's definitely not and I've also heard from like African Americans, I've heard them say like really um and like negative things about Africans. Like I remember growing up like the African booty scratcher or mm-hmm. <laughs> or even um 
I remember when I was younger, my mom, we were like shopping and she was like making sure she's getting like, you know, her discounts and all that. And this woman in the line started like, <laughs> started like yelling at her. And one of the things that she said was like, and again, I'm Nigerian, but she was like, oh, go back to Haiti and this and this and that. And just so, and she was wow. an African-American woman and just assuming that no. like she's a foreign woman from some other country. So there's definitely a tension that's real, like or mm-hmm. ignorance on both ends. But again, I yeah. ultimately feel like it's not necessarily because of distinction. It's our lack of appreciating those distinctions. This is Ifa speaking, and I concur on everything Ifnaya said. I also want to add that, okay, so back to answering the question for our own campus. Um, I think I already probably did. I'm t- talking in circles now. Um, but essentially, it is, so when Africans come to the United States, we are coming from a homogeneous background Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. we know is black there isn't that history of like racial strife where like africa like west africans anyway i wouldn't like zimbabwe and south africans you know they have their this colonial the -hmm. impact of like colonialism is more felt there so there is some racial tension there so it's a little different but west africans people from nigeria people from ghana it's pretty homogeneous and there isn't like, you know, everybody is black, that your president is black, you know, like race isn't the, race isn't a factor in like what you can achieve. Right. Things like tribe and social and economic class mm-hmm. are things, but like race is just not a thing. So yep. a, lot of, a lot of West Africans, when they come to the States or when they leave their home countries, then they realize that they're black. Mm-hmm. So, so the ignorance of like, American history and the racial strife really plays a part in our, in how we interact with African Americans when we come here. So like we're unaware yep. of microaggressions, we're unaware of like so many layers of bullshit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that like we, we like we dismiss what African Americans say when they like talk about their struggles. Mm-hmm. We dismiss it when mm-hmm. they say, oh, like this was like this professor said this really racist thing and we're like oh i didn't think that was racist like oh you didn't think that was racist because you don't have like that history you don't have Mm -hmm. that baggage like you you know you're coming with doe wide-eyed you know you never jam as my my country (laughs) people will say yeah you haven't it hasn't happened like you you are not aware you're not awakened Mm -hmm. so there is that ignorance that africans come with to the states then re- with respect for African-Americans, there's also that Af- ignorance about like the continent of Africa and the fact that it's not just like one, you know, <laughs> barren country. <laughs> country with no demarcation. You know, there's so many there are countries, there are mm-hmm. different tribes and, you know, like <laughs> we have lights, we're not swinging from trees. Like, you know, all of these... Or living in them. (laughs) Or living in huts. Like, some people live in huts, but, like, the majority of people don't live in huts. Mm. Um, Things like that. So there's, like, that ignorance. And we have a common villain, which is white supremacy. And I think the... Like, the tool is to distract us or the the guys or the... What word am I looking for now? Whatever. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. We're distracted... (laughs) Definitely. instead of us to like fight colonialism and white supremacy and you know we are there's infighting because of the lack of awareness of our different histories and our mm-hmm. shared histories mm-hmm. yeah i want to pose a question just being somebody from tennessee 
never having to adjust to another culture. What was y'all's first, or whoever isn't from the United States, what was your first encounter uh, with that sort of cultural ignorance from anybody in your life? What was that moment you first realized, like, man, race, the construct of race is very different in the United States than it was where I'm from? You get over here. And I don't, I don't know that I remember a specific incident per se, um, but my awareness that the the way a black person sees themselves in the United States versus how I see myself in the United States is when you're having conversations and you know the first thing that people might say was oh it's because I'm black right kind of like how Ife was saying like we like everybody is black back home right so it's never my um my go-to thing even if that's what it is like I'm sure that many times people were racist to me in Maryville that I did not recognize because it just wasn't like something I know I need to look out for um, per se. So maybe that and um, during Glimpse, so there's this leadership conference, right? And so it's a minority leadership conference. And so the different topics that were being discussed and I was like, wait, like, I don't, I don't understand the need for this conversation, but clearly there's a need for this conversation because people are speaking passionately about how they feel. So I think it, it, it would be a combination of those two experiences. I, ha- I have one. Um, so I think this was my either, f- I think it was freshman year. Um, I was though? in a, oh, sorry. <laughs> this is Amayo. Hey guys. Um, <laughs> so I took a class on social socioeconomic differ- differences or something like that. I don't remember what it was called. Um, but we were playing this, well, I, don't, I don't want to call it a game, but it was like a, an eye-opener, I guess. And it was just meant to show how different, um, like, like it was meant to show how socioeconomic status varies and how people aren't even aware of their privilege. So we were all meant to stand in a line, um, like in, stand up, stand all stand up in, like, in a line, and then they would ask questions and you would step forward if you could identify with the question. So it was just pointing out like, oh, okay, um, I grew up with two parents, um, for example, or I grew up knowing who my father, um, my, my mother um, are, um, I had three square meals a day. So it's questions like that that people wouldn't really think about. And one of the questions was, I'm white. Or, yeah, I'm white. And not that, obviously, I do, ident- I do identify as white, <laughs> but then just the fact that the other question, the only other option was like, I'm black. <laughs> And which is obviously I'm black, but then it was also like, okay, like that, that question was asked to prove that being white was a privilege and being um, black was a disadvantage in society. And I didn't really see that way just because, you know, as Ife and Onyeka said, being black in Nigeria isn't anything. It's like, it's what everybody is. It's not a, it doesn't determine your socioeconomic status, right? So that really just made me think like, okay, so... I mean, not that it was anything new to me. Like, I, I kind of understood. Um, well, I was getting an understanding of, you know, African-American history. So I understood how that could have been a, a disadvantage. But it was just like a, you know, just, you know, you don't really think about something until you have to. Um, that's how it was for me. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to take a step forward, you know, because I guess if I grew up in America, that could have been a disadvantage for me. This is Ifeyua, and I, I, yeah, I don't really, 
Yeah, I'm struggling because uh, a my memory is bad. B, um, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint that specific moment. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I had that per se, but I feel like college is when a I started thinking more critically about things, and b like coming to the states, like Amaya said, you know, you just you just start to think about how different you are from other mm-hmm. people. And when I got to college, I was like, oh. People are very ignorant about Africa being a continent. Like that's something people don't mm-hmm. grasp. Like even identifying as African is something that came gradually for me because back home everybody is like we identify like with our tribes and not even with the continent as a whole. Um, and so mo- graduating from that to identifying as black like was just a whole was another transition that I had to make, and it took a while, I think. Um, and this actually partly answers the question about the divide between Africans and African Americans, because I feel like, also, can we just say that there are three colleges being represented <laughs> on this episode? <laughs> <laughs> but at Mount Holyoke, I felt like the divide between Africans and African Americans came to priorities. Um, I feel like uh, African, and one of the articles did talk about this one. For most of the African students at Mount Holyoke, or even internationals, you're coming to the States because, A, education. Like, that is the focus. Mm. Like, that's your laser focus. Um, And actually, there was one article that talked about how African immigrants have the highest number of degrees Mm -hmm. or something along those Mm -hmm. lines. And and for me, I was just like, yeah, because, like, that's the whole reason why we came here. (laughs) Like, we came here. (laughs) This is why we're here. We're here for school. And at Mount Holyoke, that really played into things like for example when i don't know so like um association would rally for people to go protest or things along those lines it's like mm, we have uh, books to read we have this test to take like we were very like book i well for me i was very book focused because you know you leave you leave your family you leave everybody you know behind to get a college degree so any every everything comes after that so i felt like a lot of times some some of the African-Americans, their focus was on the racist thing that happened in the classroom, you know, the racist thing going on mm-hmm. in society, this protest to go to, these other things, issues to talk mm-hmm. about. And for me, it's like, mm, I need to study. I need to, I can't think about this right now. That's That was just not something I thought about. And it wasn't until, for me, like the death of Trayvon Martin and some students from APAU were organizing to go to a different town to um, join a peaceful protest that I think in that moment I did I, that sh- that transition and that's actually the third question is when I um, can you identify with the African American community and understand the history and struggles I think personally for me that was when that transition happened because um, there was so much tension and so yeah with the death of Trayvon Martin that's when I began to not just passively but also like actively identify with um yeah, I, you know, the black struggle and just the racist bullshit that goes on in this country. Uh, this is Ifnaya. Um, so that the question that you just brought up about um, identifying with African-American. The thing that I thought about when I read that, though, is like, I don't know if it's just African-American culture or just pop culture in general. But I feel like even when I go home, like to the village, the small children, like you see them with a Biggie Smalls mm-hmm. t-shirt and if they hear the song, they can like 
recite certain lines and so I feel like to a certain extent the idea of like identifying with the culture there's already some type of relation mm-hmm. it's just more so the view mm-hmm. of yeah. it I guess I just want to push this is the thing when I want to push on that because um I think it was recently that Lil Wayne was in an interview and they asked him about racism and he said something along the lines of like oh I you know I don't think racism exists anymore and he talked about how he was at this concert and some white kids were singing along to right. his lyrics. I mean Bizarre. Like, you know, it's like yeah <laughs> which was just first of all his response was really wild, but I think it's one can sing songs about you know, by black artists but still not identify with right. being Mm-hmm. part of that community mm-hmm. it's very easy like when there's that geographical distance especially it's i mean mm-hmm. a lot of i mean and like now every day yeah yeah it happens every day with like mainstream media and you know how they say oh fresh bantu nuts look at this curly whatever <laughs> like whatever oh, they give it i mean i'll be oh like oh boxer braids or some shit like you know like consuming a culture it's mm-hmm. totally different from like being part of it and being yeah. mm-hmm. or engaging in it and caring mm-hmm. about it and like yeah. you know having he- empathy for the people for those who inhabit that space. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So mm-hmm. Ife, like, what what did you think about that article about appropriating African culture? I thought that was mm-hmm. like I thought that was like lazy as fuck analysis. <laughs> like I understand it on a peripheral vi- level, yeah. but I just mm-hmm. thought it was like. You mm. are you are claiming to have this stance, but like there's no substance to it. It's like oh, it's just like oh, I'm angry that you are wearing Fulani things mm-hmm. and you're not even Fulani. So why are you here? <laughs> so like okay, I understand your anger and I understand your your mm-hmm. dislike for what they're doing, but like like tell me more, mm. tell me more about yeah. like do some more analysis. Yeah, like these are. So I sense I don't know if um. Somebody wrote a response to that article, mm-hmm. which is like yes, exactly yes, yes. what yes. I would have, you know, that's a response. But the person was basically like, you can't, because these people are black, they are tied to the black experience, they're tied to the diaspora, the people of the diaspora. So you have to like unpack that, like they're doing it, they're not doing it because some of them may be doing it because it's cool but there are, a lot of people are doing it to be connected to the mother africa they're mm-hmm. not doing it to you know it's huh. not they're not calling it boxer bridge or like you know it's not the same <laughs> level of you're comparing apples right. to oranges or bananas or whatever when you compare when white people like take our culture to when our skin folk and our you know brothers in the diaspora our brothers and sisters in the diaspora try to feel connected so i i felt like it was a lost opportunity to kind of like to really excavate what that meant and why it upsets us i think i know that low-key low-key i think it's also like pinching us africans when people do that is that we don't think it's cool like we didn't think it was cool until like personally misha i will say me okay (laughs) let me use personal pronouns (laughs) Like, we didn't, like, nobody in Nigeria walks around in Fulani, like, head, in, like, Fulani traditional outfits. But here, in Afropunk Brooklyn and Afropunk London, like, people wear, like, the Fulani blouse with, like, jeans. Like, people modernize it mm-hmm. and make it look cool. So I think another thing with us is that we are seeing our culture through their, through their eyes, eyes, through, like, not, not necessarily Western eyes, but, like, 
our brothers in the diaspora the eyes of like wonder and amazement and we're like low-key angry at ourselves for how we've not been i'll say misha low-key angry at, at by myself or not how for how we haven't been like uplifting our culture or being proud of our culture as much as we ought to so when we now see people doing stuff and we're like oh i guess it's cool now and we're like oh stop it it's mine it's like playing with my toy like stop playing with my toy it's mine it's mine it's mine kind of like reflects so you're not saying that you're like you're not Mm -hmm. saying that you disagree with how they use or wear so i i think it's like every like most things is multi-layered so i do disagree with the i i I take umbrage to if you are like putting on marks or like things that you don't actually like know anything about Fulani people or you mm-hmm. don't know, you know, like your mm-hmm. your only interaction is with the aesthetic and like surface yes. level. It would be nice yes. if you knew about the culture and you mm-hmm. like got to know actual Fulani people instead of just mm-hmm. wearing Fulani clothing. So like that's what I'd prefer. Like I don't, I love it when people like, you know, want to feel connected to their African roots, but like go go deeper than the surface go beyond the aesthetics and like actually connect with actual people and you know hear their stories and all of that so yeah can you explain so, what fulani is just oh, for the fulani, people who have no yes. idea fulani people are before i'm not fulani so fulani people, <laughs> actual fulani people please don't don't uh, be angry with me but like they're a northern tribe in nigeria and they are like like nomads i want to say so they like they're in the northern part of nigeria but they also like there's some fulani people in ghana too mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say they're and they're like yeah. fulani people in um niger i want to say so like they're they're spread out so they 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 tribe their ethnicity um and some of them can be found in nigeria if that makes sense okay mm-hmm. yeah um, I I want to add something to what Ife said. This is Yeka O. Um, so I agree. You know, whoever wrote that article wasn't their feelings. You know, for too long. Mm-hmm. But also, like, this is my thing. I see culture as an iceberg, right? So you have the part on the top that you can see, and so that would be our clothing. You know, music, food, um, and then in the bottom of it is like the meat of the culture. Right. So how the people interact, you know, what are their beliefs and value systems, those kind of things. And my continuous problem, I think, just across the board is that everyone just stops at the top of the iceberg. Like, it's fine if you want to wear a dashiki. It's fine if you want to do the sacred art of the ori on your face, on your arms and put it on your backpack. Right. But if I come up to you and I ask you, like, so what does that represent? And I do understand that you're trying to connect. I get it. Like you're a part of you has been stripped away and you can't even, I can't even imagine not knowing that I was Nigerian. Right. So I completely understand that. But I think it's also lazy because a lot of people want to go ahead and put all the things that look good and look pretty and aren't putting in the effort into actually researching. And that's my thing. Like if you care so much if you are super super interested google is a thing you know 
like Ifeanwa said, there are three college campuses here. I can count how many African-Americans on one hand, you know, came up to me and was like, oh, can you tell me about your culture? And I'm not saying this is supposed to be for every African-American because some people don't care. Like, it's fine. But if you care, if you um, are, are wearing semblances of culture, then I think that it's imperative that you do whatever you can to interact with people, to ask questions. Don't just you know, wear a dashiki that was printed and that you bought from Forever 21 and be like, you know, I'm African. That That's just my thing. So Sorry, random aside. Do you know I honestly didn't know dashikis were like a thing hmm. of African heritage until I came to the States? Because like, Me we too. just buy them on... Yeah, you What's know, that road? <laughs> just uh, go to the market and buy. So cool. it was not until I, I came to the states that I knew like that shikis were supposed to be African anyway. Random. <laughs> and going back to Yeka's point, or Yeka O, excuse me, going back to Yeka O's point. Thanks, uh, <laughs> Brian. No, no, I totally agree. It is intellectually lazy to wear dashiki or you know do anything uh, to appropriate. African, the continent of African culture and cultures within Africa, and just put it on and say, I wear it because I like it. And that's lazy as all hell. But I mm-hmm. think, and, and I'm mm-hmm. speaking for African Americans, we do it to pay homage. We, we, we're trying to honor the culture that you know we originally came from, at least our ancestors came from. And we go through these periods, right? So after Roots came out originally in the late 70s, Black Americans went through this mm-hmm. Afrocentric period where we picked up these, you know, these traditionally African names. We start wearing dashikis. Uh, you know, everything was just focused on Afrocentricism. And again, with these recent tragedies of police killings, which aren't new, by the way. I mean, this has been going on for years, but they're more highlighted. Mm-hmm. We're getting back to this thing and we're trying to highlight this African culture. But I wish we would dig deeper to see what it all means. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what part of Africa does a dashiki yeah. come from? West Africa. You ask 10 people and probably mm-hmm. none of them would know that. You know, just these simple things to dig deeper. And if you're going to you know, rock these outfits and style your hair in these bantu knots or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to do, please just know a little bit about it um and i wanted i mean i won't say that i'm the first to know everything about it but i refused to wear something and then when somebody challenged me on it i couldn't answer the question as to where it came from or who culture whose culture it represents you get snapped for that brain um this is chris and i um so i thought that article was really interesting um because i think it definitely was a stretch with certain things like if you said like septum piercings from the fulani or something like that and Mm -hmm. honestly i don't think or I feel like the majority of African Americans who get septum piercings probably aren't trying to like look like a Fulani <laughs> woman. So I feel like she's like it was a stretch in a lot of ways. Um, but the one thing that I that I kept thinking of is I hate and I think it's like echo some of the things that you guys are saying when things are done just because they're trending. Like for example, yeah. I've always loved like material and like our clothing and our laces and abada and all of that stuff like i think it's the most beautiful most regal thing ever and so um i've always gotten like outfits and stuff like that made um and i feel like now that like you know our ankara and all this stuff is it's like trendy now you see a lot of and not even just african-americans but other people wearing the clothing and it just more so for me bothers me in a sense that like this isn't hot because y'all right. are wearing it like it's been hot <laughs> so, so that's not even necessarily a cultural thing like someone trying to 
appropriate or this and that. It just bothers me that like everything is about it being trendy and like um, there's never actual credit given or actually looking at like, you know, this is coming from somewhere that has substance and that is beautiful with or without you guys like supporting it, you know? So that yeah. was the one thing that I thought of when she was talking about clothes. But overall, I did just feel like the article was like really lazy and she like definitely made stretches. <laughs> I have one more thing. This is Ifet to add. So the response to that article, one of the things that really struck me um, is that this person really rejects the, using the term cultural appropriation when it comes to African Americans um, mm-hmm. doing, you know, wearing African garb or doing like African aesthetic things. Because uh, I'm just going to read the quotes in this response. When non black people appropriate black culture, it draws ire not only because they are not black, but because they have the privilege of adding a little edge or flavor to their look or personality without sharing any of the realities of mm. being black. So I think the, like, unifying, the underlying thing is that, like, we're all black. (laughs) We're black with and without the (laughs) whatever we wear, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Kim Kardashian or Kylie or whatever, when they wear boxer braids, as they call them, (laughs) they, you know, they get the edginess. They have that Mm. urban flavor without risking getting shot in the streets or without risking employment discrimination or, like, they can wear those boxer braids to work <laughs> and nobody's going to give them flack for it. So I think yeah. like that is why that is one distinction I want us to make is that cultural appropriation, in my opinion, involves some power. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Africans and African-Americans, there's no like distinct, like there's no one group that's distinctly right. above the other mm. where that like power comes into you just... place. Yeah, if I, you just said something that I think every African who comes to the United States needs to hear, um, <laughs> because you hear from a lot of African Americans that a lot of Africans come with a sense sense of air about them, um, mm. and I mean, in general, we're just proud people. At the end, um, but like the reality is, a lot of Africans who come to the United States, what they consume prior to what they uh, prior to what they uh, see when they come to the U.S. is media right that's not controlled by black people it's media controlled by white people so they're seeing black people through the eyes of white people right and so then they come here thinking oh well i'm more educated well i have i lived in a two-parent home oh well i have that and so just the awareness that listen you're not necessarily better than them because you have all these other things actually you are pretty much them because if a cop sees you he does not see a nigerian he just sees a black person and if he's biased against black people that might be it you know so as far as like black lives matter and africans being like hey i can't connect well it could be you and it could be your kid so like it was uh, you know (laughs) there was this guy um from uganda um I think Alfred Olang is his name, or I can't, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't pronounce his name properly. But like this man who was a, a Ugandan immigrant who was killed in San Francisco, he was like one of the most recent victims of police brutality, where he was having like a mental um, episode and he was holding a vape pen, and mm. cops thought it was a weapon and they shot him, and he was yep. like he was from Africa, he was literally from Uganda. He left to mm. escape the Lord Resistance Army, you know. So mm. like things like that so like that is true but i also want to emphasize that 
our ignorance like when we first come to the states our egg or our parents like their our parents ignorance and like the lack of the burden of having years and centuries of trauma st- mm. also still plays a part in like how in like your trajectory so mm. if you were born in a place where like in a low income neighborhood like you don't know a lot of people that went to college like your trajectory in life will be different from if you are like you know your parents had money enough like enough money to pay for SATs for you to go to school in another country like your trajectories will be different so like there are diff- there there are similarities that tie our experiences together and at the baseline like we're all black like white supremacists so why supremacy is out to get all of us you know like there are some core tenets of the truth but mm-hmm. there are also some core things of like i am at a place of some advantage because i have not had to deal with years and years of microaggression and like just mm-hmm. delabilitating like yeah. bullshit so like there's a quote in one of the articles um talking about like this topic is mm-hmm. so like in like we can't we can't possibly talk about yeah, everything not possible, uh-huh. but somebody in the quote um one of the articles the ivy league fold how america's top colleges avoid real diversity mm. one quote is that descendants of slaves came here on a ship or as chattel not on a plane or inner tube with hopes of an american dream honestly i believe it's difficult to strive for better when you already live in what people call the american dream but what you have lived is a nightmare mm. Oh. so like you know like it's 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 there's a i don't know but i feel like there's some there's definitely validity to that quote but then at the same time nigeria is not or like these african countries aren't mm-hmm. like you know heaven on earth there's definitely a different type of struggle and trajectory yeah, that yeah. you get mm-hmm. from your like your position yeah. there so i feel yeah, like that but... too and almost a question that i want to pose for you guys because i feel like um, for some of the Africans that I speak to and that who have like these negative um, connotations of African-Americans, it's kind of like I came from a place where there wasn't any light for, in their situation for me to study, to go to school. I came from, I didn't have food. Like I walked miles, like that was their African experience in whatever African country they were in. And to come to this country, they like made something of themselves. So that's kind of where an, another hostility comes um, in terms of yeah. looking at African Americans, I think there are like layers to like there are definitely layers and whatever. But like, like so, not having lights is not good. Yes, <laughs> but like a history of like Jim Crow and housing segregation and like constant media, like the images you see of, your, of yourself on media, are like negative images. Like it's di- like it's different struggles. It's like different. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like emotional. Like, yeah, but I, but I feel like struggle like is struggle. Emotional. You can't, like, I don't feel like yeah. one struggle is worse than the other. One struggle, like, is a struggle is debilitating. I think, I wouldn't, so, me personally, I've come, like, I lived in Lagos, there's no lights. Like, I've experienced the struggle of no lights, quote-unquote. But, like, mm-hmm. you make it work in the sense that it's not a mentally draining, you don't have to, like... <laughs> mentally prepared like the the emotional burden of do you feel like someone living in lagos with a lower economic standard um 
them not having light in addition with other things then brings a whole nother struggle like uh yeka oh so i'm i'm i i think that we're kind of um what's the word pulling together things that aren't aren't necessarily shouldn't necessarily be compared right so in nigeria for example the rich man doesn't like nepa doesn't give anybody light whether you're rich or you're poor the difference is you can afford to buy a generator so then there's light Mm-hmm. Right, so we equally all do not have light. However, some I people mean, are more yeah, privileged. To that electricity struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, like some people have connections, <laughs> but for the most part, like for the most part, like people generally don't have light. And then you're privileged enough to be able to afford a generator that can power ten houses. Cool. Even okay. that is not true. There are people that don't. Um, that the people that have lives more than the doors if that makes sense I, I mean not that this is really important but I'm just saying that no 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 I understand but what I'm saying is like but it's not that they never like don't have light like they will there are times when they don't have light is what I'm saying yeah. versus like a system where you like it's not the same so for the African American and a Caucasian like that system is not the same because the African American for the most part has been set up to fail right so comparing your struggle to like the next like i right. don't i don't know if it's comparable yeah I don't, I don't think i think i think there are also different africans like whose lives are set up for failure as well but then like, like like are you like talking about africans saying? in africa or you're talking about africans who come in, here, Af- in africa exactly in but like that's africa. apples that's apples and oranges we're talking about like that's what i'm, that's what I'm this... saying I, i'm saying that we shouldn't compare because like the struggles are different yeah so... i feel like Again, I don't. I, I feel like it's always a lose lose battle if you compare struggles. Like mm-hmm. struggle is struggle. But to say, I think that the systems that have held African Americans back is definitely um, something that I think a lot of Africans who come to this country are ignorant about. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's there's definitely systems and like all sorts of things going on in Nigeria that keep people down mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It was like there's just struggle on both ends, and it's I think it's more so the ignorance about that. Yeah, so what I'm pushing back against is that, like, right now we're comparing the African immigrant experience to the native, like, not native, but, like, African-American experience in America. So, like, in that context, the African immigrants who come to the States are, like, you can't be comparing their cousin's struggle in the village to Nepal. Yeah. Like, that's not... Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's I, not... I, but I also feel like all African immigrants, their their stories aren't the same. Like, some people, yeah. they could just afford a ticket to come here, and that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, this is the thing. And even those people that flew, some of them, members put money together for that person to... Together, right. community. But, yes. Yeah, which yeah. is true. No, like, I mean, this is, this is Amayo, like... I know I don't know if um because there was a Villanova student who wrote a book recently I forgot his name or oh, something Martin but um he was from oh, he was from, I forgot what country he's from but an African country and he literally grew up in like the slums like slums like he didn't have paper to write like he, was, he had a pen pal in the states by some stroke of luck and he didn't even have paper to write with so his struggles were like completely different from my struggles for example like I can't even compare my experiences to his so he so him coming to america he has like he had a lot like a a huger learning curve Mm -hmm. like a completely different um experience than i did for example so like i get why if naya is coming from like not all like experiences are the same like he came from nothing like literally nothing 
everything was against him. He family didn't have food. He didn't have shoes. He didn't have like shoes of his own, clothes of his own, like things like that. That's a completely different right. like immigration story. Yeah. It's just yeah, exactly. It's a different story. Okay, first of all, does anybody have any interesting or awkward stories that you want to share or encounters that that have to do with no, I, topic? I do, I do. Yeah, I'm gonna tell a story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a, a quick story, but it's not, it's nothing too serious. Oh my god! So my first encounter at you know the academic level uh, with anyone from Africa was Anyeka, and uh, I think Amayo might have said something earlier. I believe it was you talking about you know when African students immigrate to the United States, the focus is so much on education that everything else is out the window. Um, so it was. <laughs> Anyeka, so many times, she would sit at football games and do homework. And I thought about it. I kid you not. Am I, Anyeka, am I lying? Oh, my God. So no, typical. No, no, and you're right. You're right. You're right. I, used to, I was blown away at that dedication. And I admired it. And I said, like, she's going to do great things. Like, this is some, com- <laughs> this is some commitment to education. <laughs> Oh my god! I you know the funny thing is uh-huh. a couple of weeks ago there was like a cookout at church, and I had an exam like on uh, on Monday, and it was on Sunday, and I was like, "Well, I need to be here," but then I also need to study, so I'm there. Yeah. Like this band is playing the best music ever, and I'm there studying, and they're like, "Are you actually truly studying?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, see the way my life is set up, you will be doing homework on Resurrection <laughs> like, Day. I, I can't swear. fail." So, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you wow. miss, you miss it because you're doing homework. I will be out of school by then. Thank you. <laughs> I'm done. You're so rude. Okay, I have this is a funny one. Yeah, this is a funny one. I have one quick story to tell. Um, and this kind of hi- actually highlights one of the articles that we read. But I remember sharing with a friend who's African American. I shared with her that um. A medical school I was looking at, I saw that, you know, their in, their last incoming class had quite a number of black students. Like, I saw some pictures of some black students in there. I was like, oh, you know, the class is seems very diverse. And she made a comment along the lines of, well, most of those black students aren't really black. Mm. They're Africans. <laughs> and that literally blew me away. Like, I didn't for me, there wasn't any separation. <laughs> like, in my head, I was thinking, like, oh, they're all black. And she's like, no, most of them have, like, Nigerian names or, like, African names. And I thought that was, yeah, that was, like, an awkward encounter. And after that, I was just like, okay, we are going to move on <laughs> to another topic now and talk about something else. But it just, I think one of the articles, somebody, um, the one about mm-hmm. Ivy League food, it said, you know, that what she, <laughs> that what she observed in black immigrants student wasn't more smarts or a lot more money, but like a will will to succeed that hasn't been right. squashed by decades of oppression. Mm-hmm. And I thought because a lot of times these articles are citing data that I don't know how current they are, saying things along mm-hmm. the lines of most of the immigrants here are like from wealthy backgrounds, and which I, and also like my circle is pretty small, like the number of students that. <laughs> that end size can't be published, but I feel like most of the people I know are here, like either on scholarship or the reason. Yeah, the reason why they're here is like through scholarship. Yeah, but going off of that though, um, sorry, I like keep losing my train of thoughts. Like it just like comes and disappears from my brain. <laughs> so weird. 
<laughs> wow, okay. Hashtag old age. Ife just turned 25 um, yesterday. Also, happy birthday, Ife. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Feeling the love, feeling the love. Um, okay, yes. century? Got, ah, that's what we see, Amo. We thank God. Um, got back my train of thought. So, somebody, does this, I listen to a lot of podcasts as fitting as I, um, one of the co-hosts of a podcast but one of there was an episode of invisibilia where they were talking about there was this um i think his name is harry minaj he's one of the daily show correspondents he was basically talking to his father about like Mm -hmm. first generation versus second generation um immigrants like children of immigrants and their experiences Mm -hmm. and how your ignorance of like racial things mm-hmm. kind of like it makes it roll off your back like things roll off your back easier mm-hmm. so yeah. you can like focus on like other things like survival yeah do you understand what i'm saying like you can your focus is more on oh i'm studying yeah. so like for example using our context of Maholyuk, where our african-american like colleagues and, and our sisters couldn't they were like feeling oppressed they were like i can't even study because i'm so mm. upset about the racial injustice they're like i can't like the book is not going right. to end that if i try to study mm-hmm. kind of thing and we are just in our own bliss yeah. and we're just like well yeah. you know like i'm not a, i'm not at this level of consciousness to be bothered mm-hmm. by what's going on i just i'm just going to study so basically like the ignorance mm-hmm kind of factors to tie back to what Ifeinwa was saying about like her friend talking about um about um Africans in that program like that can also be a factor yeah. of of why there might be an overrepresentation of mm-hmm. Africans. Like in addition to the talk about, you know, your trajectory and how like yeah. yeah. So like even that's the fact that you're not burdened by such mm-hmm can have can give you like an uptick and usually and there have been studies to like se- second generation like by the time immig- like second generation immigrants they're like basically you know like they're african-americans and the if the immigrants effect or the like successful immigrant effect mm. like has worn off by that point okay i think uh, look it's, it's y'all's show i think one day i hope i hope one day you have a conversation we can have a conversation about the kind of weight of oppression, because that's been like an interesting theme through a lot of people's answers today um, about how immigrants don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Those years of built up, you know, uh, many aggressions or whatever you call them, those things that add up over the years. And by the time you get uh, to these mm-hmm. kind of uh, crucial points in your academic career, you're just like, you know, th- this doesn't matter. Um, I would love to have a conversation one day about how oppression builds up over the mm. years and you kind of reach a breaking point and, you know, the trajectory that we get to be on if we avoid those types of things for long enough. It'd be a fascinating conversation. If you have it, please have me back. <laughs> Will do. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. Cool. Um, can I add one last thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree that that would be an interesting conversation. I think it definitely needs to be nuanced with like the ideas of oppression because right. there's all different sorts of oppression. But one of the last questions that um, we were like, told to think about is like how we can bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. And I remember like taking notes that I really wanted to say, I feel like 
it really bridging the gap would truly be to recognize the power of like whiteness and white supremacy because like mm-hmm. um a lot of my friends that grew up in Nigeria and have come here um they've told me that like going to school there even like in history a lot of times history lessons start from um like 1960 or like independence <laughs> day and like you don't really hear about like the, the great empires and the great things that were before colonialism so it's like I feel like that disconnect of like knowing of like our greatness in general both as like Africans and then like as African Americans like just that disconnect of really recognizing that we do come from a people who were like amazing and creative and just all these sorts of things I feel like um, helps us look at each other as if we're so different and then helps us like see our plight as like totally different um so I think bridging the gap will definitely turn like reconstructing our thought processes and like really recognizing how white supremacy has played a role in that if there's if there's anything you get over here if there's anything I know for sure is the same way that key um historical facts um with regards to American you know history is being left out of history books is also the same way that there are key historical facts of things that happen in African mm-hmm. history, at least Nigeria, mm-hmm. that are also being left out of Nigerian history books exactly. too. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this is Ifeyua. And one question, I guess the last question is how we can bridge the gap. And honestly, I feel like just empathy is a huge part as well. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think one of the articles highlighted this too. It's like, I think it was Lovey that mentioned it. You know, the younger you are, the e- the more open-minded you are. And it's easier to, I guess, unlearn certain things. And definitely coming to the States at, um, for college um, kept me open-minded to hear what other people had to say and learn from my African-American sisters and understand why it was necessary to like stand in solidarity with them and just unlearn certain things I had, I had uh, picked up earlier about, um, because the other thing I, I realized is just how respectability politics is such a huge part of my upbringing and just like mm-hmm. Nigerian society. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, just, and which is also present here, but it's like, Oh, if you talk respectfully, if you do all these right things, like you should be fine. Like racism is not a thing. Like just, acts like you're supposed to act um and so yeah that and just like culturally like how we're supposed to talk to our elders like all that ties into respectability politics but um just in college being willing to unlearn certain things that picked up definitely has um come a long way i think we're going to start wrapping up we're going to wrap up this episode um (laughs) it's been an awesome one one. i know this is good Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories, experiences. Yeah, it's been awesome. And thank you again, Brian and Ifunaya, for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And you guys have been, you know, I've learned a lot from you two just in these past few minutes <laughs> um, or hour. <laughs> so, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so before we um, wrap up, I just want to clarify that I wasn't a member of 
BTS <laughs> Avenue, not because I wasn't interested, <laughs> but because I did not have time. Just because just in case yeah, people that, yeah, right, right, got the right. wrong idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you know, being a Nigerian student, I had to face my books. I only had time for the African and Caribbean Avenue. Can we quickly share what we're reading before we, and and listening to and all of those good things? Oyeka can, Oyeka can go first since. <laughs> yes! Friends! Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. So I got the most ridiculous book ever written on this oh planet. Um, it's called Capitalist Nigger. Oh Lord, and it is by, y'all, <laughs> I have never in my life read a book that had my mouth open. Can the we preface this time. with saying that it is not a recommendation? <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Please don't don't go out and buy this book. Do not like. Do not waste your money on buying this this mm. joke of a book. It yeah. We will talk about it on this episode. But I'm currently attempting to finish reading um, Capitalist Nigger. Yeah, that's me. All right, I'll go next. This is Amayo. Um, am I reading anything new? Not really. I am listening to Solange's yes. album. Yes. I'm loving it. The seats at the yes. table. Don't I just want to girl. say that I've been a day one fan. <laughs> Solange, <laughs> I love you so much. I love your style. I love your music. I just love your being. Like, you are just, okay, not like she's actually listening to this, but yes. Solange's album is awesome. I love so it. So go listen to it. It's free so everywhere. Um, so just do yourself a favor. Oh and listen. Yes. Okay. Boo boo for us I'm by us, yeah. Yes. This is Ifeima and I have so many recommendations. I am reading Homegoing by Yagyasi. Um she's Ghanaian and it's actually funny how everything is tied together. Like in the book it's following two half sisters. One um gets married off to a white um colonial master and the other gets sold into slavery. So the book, the novel follows the two half sisters dear lives. And the half sister who's sold into slavery like follows um her kids and her grandkids and their life in the US and the another part of the book follows the other sister who gets married to this white guy and follows the story of decolonize decolonialization in Ghana, what was then eighteenth century Gold Coast. So it's just I mean, I'm reading it and I'm just like, wow, just reading about how people are being kidnapped and so it's just like a lot to read and just also highlighting like what was definitely omitted from our history, like growing up in the in like in the classroom, things that aren't taught to us. Um, but it's a really great read. I like I almost didn't want to put it down for this recording. <laughs> it's well, really glad it's really Thanks. good. Um and then I'm also listening to Solange's album, like I'm like everybody in the world except Brian is listening to <laughs> is listening to see at the table. <laughs> Um, but I am also watching, um, Netflix and Marvel's new show, Luke Cage. Amazing. Yes. I mean, if not for anything, but for my culture, like he is just mm, chocolate goodness. Yes, and Lord. then yes, I'm also watching Ava DuVernay's, uh, show on Oprah's network, um, Queen Sugar. Also brilliant, 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 brilliant work. Ava DuVernay is just killing it right now. She had this new documentary out on Netflix that I haven't seen yet, but um, she's doing great work. Hi, guys. This is Ife, and I'm reading Financially Fearless by Alexa Von Tobel. So it is 
a book about financial planning and being money savvy and just trying to be better with my money and you know <laughs> now that I'm 25 you know I'm not getting any younger have to be responsible now have to be responsible so yeah it's good so far it kind of it, it's so the whole thing is like a psychology it, it helps you think about your where you get your ideas about money um how your your childhood or influ- all your past experiences have influenced how you think about money and how you deal mm. with money and how mm. to correct bad thought, you know, bad behavior and bad assumptions about money and all of those things. So it's good mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, and I'm also doing an alpha course um, at church. Mm. So nice. I go to, I don't know, I go to um, HTV, Holy Trinity Brompton, which is a Church of England church. And they have a, what they call Alpha, which is a basic like introductory to, introduction to Christianity. So if you're not a Christian or if you're exploring Christianity or if you want to just come and like pick apart the arguments that is, you know, like a case for Christianity, they welcome everybody. Yeah. Or That's if fair. you are been christian for a very long time and you are kind of like wondering why you're a christian like why am i even doing this um (laughs) it is a good class so yeah that's that's what's what i'm doing and uh recommending so this is my second week i'm going into my third week of alpha i'll I'll report back after and let you guys know how it goes this is this is brian i'm currently listening to this artist named solange you may have heard of her um, this this is her playing right now. In fact, <laughs> album's called a, <laughs> album's called a seat at the table. Great album. <laughs> I'm shamefully not reading anything right now, except this guy named Brian C. Bush. He writes for the Grio and uh, Huffington Post Black Voices. You should check him out. He writes okay oh commentary God. about stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I'm always open to suggestions. Um. So like everyone else i definitely have been all up on that album a seat at the table even though i must admit i haven't been like this is my first time listening to a full solange album um but i really really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. so you know i'm not i'm not a bandwagon i'm like admitting i'm haven't been down for her (laughs) (laughs) um though she she's super cool like i like her fashion but um, mm-hmm. I just finished reading um, God Help the Child by Toni Morrison, and that was really interesting. Mm. I'm listening to an audiobook called Hooked, and it's about um, kind of how these different like social media um, apps and technology and all that stuff have created like habits that we now feel are like needed. Um, so it's really, really interesting. Um, and it almost sounds like it's a business strategy. Um, so it's really interesting. And the last thing I'd like to add is I just read an article on Facebook um, earlier today, and it was entitled, I think, Chimamanda, um, and it's like uh, Beyonce's feminism is different from mine. And it makes it sound like she's bashing Beyonce. And she's really not. She's just basically just um, her point is that um, her feminism isn't as tied or centered around like a man. Like it's not about how he hurt me or this and that. And I thought this might be another cool um topic idea for you guys one thing she had said is that like um women seem to always have like a conversation about men and they're they're sitting with each other talking and one of my friends sent me this article and it was just talking about how like there was a a time in movies where the only time you would really um 
care about the female characters or anything like that is is in her relation or when she's tied to a man or speaking about a man or I don't yeah, know the, I think be- like, the Bechdel test yeah yeah <laughs> that's it <laughs> Febby now and she knows this stuff <laughs> So I thought that was really, really intriguing. And me and my friends like had like a whole big conversation about it. So I think that the article is really short. Um, the Chimamanda one, um, I think it's a good read. And so is the test. Yeah, I just wanted to add something. I know in the last episode, I mentioned how I got the book called The Smart mm-hmm. Money Woman, an African girl's journey to financial freedom. So I finished reading it and I just, I really, really want to. So yeah, I definitely recommend it to anybody who is trying to understand how to be financially responsible and not just for women just anybody in general and the stories are amazing so yeah definitely hop on that so yeah smart money woman by iris but yes so thank you guys again and this was an awesome awesome episode i love hanging out with you guys and brian and ifnaya again awesome thank you thank you thank you thank you (laughs) for giving up this time in your sunday to join us i really appreciate it and thank you guys for listening to our podcast love you